Well, perfect. This is just wonderful. So much opportunity for God to be speaking to every single one of us through Lectio and the verses that we've already gone through, through the reflections on the plagues and what happened there. And now we're going to continue on into Galatians. And, uh, and this sermon series has been taking us through Galatians a little bit slower than I thought, but there is so much here. And I just want to remind you of, of what the church in Galatia was and how it compares to us here. So the church in Galatia was a fairly new expression of the body of Christ. And they were going in a direction that was devoted to the mission and the purpose of Jesus. But there were people that were trying to infiltrate them, people that were of, of older traditions trying to infiltrate them and to pull them back into the old way of doing things. And today, as promised church, we are a fairly new church. We, we are a fairly new expression of the body of Christ. And there are, there are traditions that, and ways that many of us have grown up or had a lot of experience with the way that church is. And from there, we get pulled back into the older way of doing things. And it's not so much that it was wrong, because it wasn't wrong, but that Promise Church has a call and a direction that is unique to it. And so today we are going to, uh, today we're going to start off in prayer, and then we're going to read Galatians 2, 15 to 18, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue with the discussion. So let me pray. God, I'm so thankful for your word and the power of your word. I'm thankful that already in service, that through, through worship and music, through worship and reading scripture together and contemplating what you're saying to us, through listening and reflection in the kids' time, that you have already been speaking to us. God, I pray that in this time that we would be able to hear from your word even more, that you would continue to shape us and make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 says... We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in, in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about controversy and talking about how um, the Galatians is a book responding to that 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 traditional group coming in, responding to the controversy, and it was written by Paul just over 2,000, or under 2,000 years ago. And uh, so today we're going to take a moment to consider the validity of controversy in the church. But before we dig into that, we really just need to make sure that we don't hit two common cultural mistakes that are going to be covered in, in Scripture, and, uh, and we're just going to dig into them really fast in our introduction. The first danger that we, that we run into is the danger that thinks that all angles are valid. That we just tolerate all kinds of thought and all kinds of angles and everything holds true and it's just valid and you have your view and I have my view and they're all valid and they somehow just work together. That just isn't true. It can't work. Um, not every angle is still talking 
about truth. And I mean, when we consider the, the past year, we were able to discover that through media and through the, the media wars that are happening, um, we're able to discover that absolutely there are stories that just don't fit together. And so um, that, that happens. Now, I've been reading a lot of John Piper and N.T. Wright, who actually disagree specifically, very specifically, on this passage. And we're going to dig into that today. And the conflict is, is that how do we say these people don't agree with each other? And what do we do with that? So our metric as Christians for truth is rooted in Scripture and in our hope of Jesus' return. Our metric for all truth is rooted in Scripture and our hope in Jesus' return. For us to navigate controversy, we must root in the truth of Scripture. Okay, if we don't root our understanding in the truth of Scripture, our faith will be ripped to shreds. It will be destroyed. It, it does not work. Um, not because our faith doesn't work, but because we didn't root it in the anchor that actually sets these, the, um, the parameters. And so how can, we, how can we still tell? How do we know? Um, see, it's not quite good enough to just have a cursory knowledge of Scripture. 1 John 4, 2 and 3 give us a great foundational fulcrum upon which we can start to have discussions on. So it says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus the Messiah has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So we have a fulcrum here, something that Christians are able to start to determine what is true and what is not. And so this is this is where we start to say, okay, how are we going to measure things? If we are rooted, or we are rooted in our future hope that is Jesus and his return. We're rooted in our future hope. It's Jesus and his return. Every spirit that says that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who will rescue us from everything, is from God. Everyone who says that that's the beginning of our place of truth. That's how we know that God is behind this. And Scripture gives us all of that validity inside of it. And it points us to Jesus and it allows us to understand ourselves from the perspective of Jesus. So it's not correct to just have the Bible as a moral principle guide or as just a nice guide for how I might live a good life as a good citizen we must actually take it further. The solution for the world is not us being loving and kind, although by all means we should be loving and kind. That's not the solution for the world. The solution for the world, the truth of the world, is Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning, and he is returning to make all things right according to the structure that God, the creator, has set in place. This is the hope of the world. So, we lead people to the hope by being kind and loving and nice. God says that, he, that his, his, uh, his mercy leads people to repentance. 
And so, so he is allowing for people to come to him. So we lead people to the truth, the hope. But when Jesus returns, that is the fulfillment of the hope, that return that he is making all things right. So the hope of our world is Jesus, full stop. You know, for the, so for the Christian, we can't just say, oh, well, everything is valid. We actually measure it by, does this look towards the hope, which is Jesus Christ? Does it actually say God is involved? Because that's where we, that's where we go. The second danger that Christians face is actually on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. It's the side where we say we have the corner on truth and that we think that there is only one way of looking at something. There is only one way. And, and, and this is it. This is the one thing. And therefore, we have all of everything sorted out. And so we, that is, that's really, really important. And what that does is, is we, actually, um, we actually shrink our view of God when we, when we do that. You know, our, our argumentation says, oh, well, there's only one truth. And then what follows is the subtle hint that says, and I fully know it. And on one hand, yeah, absolutely, there is Jesus and he is returning, but we don't know so many things about that. We can't tell you exactly what that means for, you know, um, what is going to happen in the next 24 hours as, you know, the, the whole huge slew of prophets in, in the states or self-proclaimed prophets in the states have made these big statements about what was going to happen over the election. And, and clearly, they were, uh, they misheard or something happened there. Not sure, but you get this whole thing where it's like, wait, we don't have that absolute corner on truth as, and, and every single detail. Let me look at scripture again. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anybody imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anybody loves God, he is known by God. You come to a place in, in the second mistake where you think that you fully know God. You fully know scripture, that you have the corner on absolutely everything. And the danger is that we become so militant about it that, that it becomes dangerous and unhelpful. And so, so we... We struggle with that, and, and we discover that we do not know as we ought to know, according to the scripture. We do not know as we ought to know. Basing God on our knowledge and on our ability to comprehend will always shrink God. It will always shrink our understanding of God, because if, if the construct of God can fit inside of my feeble mind. It's not big enough. So, how do we expand our view of God? Well, the verse actually tells us we pursue the love of God. If anybody loves God, he is known by God. And so we pursue the love of God and we measure everything by Jesus' return. 
And so here, in that place, God is able to do his work of expanding our understanding of him. God is to be explored, to be discovered, and to be pursued. The loving God will expand our view of God. And our image of God remains larger than us if we're built up by love, the love of God, where we place the return of Christ as that guiding hope that we have. And we say, God, with your plan, what you're doing, allow us to navigate in love. And so what we see here is, is a, a little discussion that's going on on Slack right now, and it's really good. You know, um, it, it says that if you're not a believer, all ideas are valid. And for sure, your ideas are valid. There are tons of ideas that are valid. But it continues to say, our advantage is that we know Jesus. We know the truth. And so there you get a rooting. A rooting. Here is, here is truth. And everything builds on top of that. And so um, we, we trust scripture. I'm going to reread the scripture here. Because what we're going to dig into is a little bit of this controversy. Where yes, we know that everything follows with N.T. Wright and and. And John Piper, we know that they both say that Jesus Christ is Lord. We both know that they look towards the return of Christ. So we know that their spirit comes from God. What they're communicating is from God. It's not contradictory to that. But yet they both humbly know that they don't know absolutely everything. And so what they've done is they've spent time writing books, responding to each other about how they're interpreting this differently. Now, that matters for us as a Christian community. It matters because, because we can know Jesus, but we can avoid the arrogance of saying, my way is the right way and I'm going to shove it down your throat, and we can engage in real loving conversation about what that means. And that's why I've allowed the, the, the discussion of, of N.T. Wright and John Piper to actually be brought out here, where I'm not making a decision about who is right, but I'm saying allow this to expand and explore your love of God. So here we go. Um, we, we have, this, we have this, this perspective here. I'm going to read two different translations. I'm going to read the ESV again, but then I'm going to read N.T. Wright, who is a scholar on, and, and a very solid scholar, he's actually done a, uh, a translation that's been very well edited, and it's called uh, The New Testament for Everyone. So I'm going to read both of them, and you're going to hear something slightly different come out of the text. Here we go. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, but because the works of the law, nobody will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So, let me read you now N.T. Wright's translation. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
But we know that a person is not declared righteous, notice the difference, by works of the Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. That's why we too believed in the Messiah, Jesus, so that we might be declared righteous on the basis of the Messiah's faithfulness and not on the basis of the works of the Jewish law. On that basis, you see, no creature will be declared righteous. Well then, if seeking to be declared righteous in the Messiah, we ourselves are found to be sinners, does it make the Messiah an agent of sin? Certainly not. If I build up once more the things which I tore down, I demonstrate that I am a lawbreaker. So the first thing I want to do is I want to acknowledge that both of these translations are both acknowledging the hope in Jesus. And yet they have different ways of talking about much the same thing. So, the challenge in the text. Is being declared righteous the result of total inclusion? Like N.T. Wright's translation says. Is it's based on something else that's already happened? Like Jesus' faithfulness to mission? The marker of the Christian faith would become the faithfulness of Jesus? Or is being justified the right of entry, the English Standard Version. Is it that a person is declared righteous by the fact that they have done something, like they put faith in Jesus? Or a Christian is being accepted because, you know, by a court ruling and needs to be shown by another marker, like the fruits, like, like uh, circumcision? And, and so this is the question. How is a person declared righteous? Are they declared righteous because of Jesus' faithfulness to his mission? Or are they justified and, and allowed to come in because of their faith in Jesus? So it's historically and, and clear and, and agreed upon by both parties that the Jews knew that God had chosen them and that they had already belonged to God. For them, being declared righteous was about showing that they were in God's family they were included in God's family by acting in accordance with Torah, the law. They would act according because they were included. So this is the ex expectation of all Jews to act according to the law, Torah, to show you, to show others that they're part of the promise. For N.T. Wright, in his understanding... Paul's saying that the Gentiles are in and they're declared righteous because of Jesus' faithfulness to Torah. In other words, you remember the argument last week about table fellowship? The, the person is fully included because of the faithfulness of Jesus. So they're able to take part in everything in the community. N.T. Wright concludes that the active participant in making us righteous is Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes us act righteous, and it's Jesus alone. According to N.T. Wright, the good news is Jesus is Lord of the entire earth. He says it's a multinational, it's, it's global inclusion. And the message is loud and clear that Jesus is Lord. And that sounds good, right? And that is right. Jesus is Lord. 
And so God has provided an option. If you don't like the type of kingdom where God dictates the way that things are going to be, if you don't like that type of kingdom, you actually can opt out. You don't need to accept Jesus as your Lord. And you can continue to be your own Lord of your own world. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is Lord and Jesus does rule. And so your justification in front of God is the sign that you're included, and it's based on the faithfulness of Jesus. If you trust the faithfulness of Jesus, if you say that is the kingdom, that is the way that I want things to look in the world, the way that Jesus lived, the way that Jesus died, the way that Jesus was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, the way that evil was overcome, that's what I want to see in the world, and I trust Jesus to come back and do it again, that is is what works. That is what brings you into salvation. But John Piper says, whoa, that's a little bit off here. The traditional marker of inclusion since the Reformation has been faith alone. You are included by faith alone, scripture alone. You know, and, and we get these statements. The traditional marker of inclusion is actually found in the ESV. It's argued by John Piper. And when we look at John Piper's stance, we see that we're justified by our faith in Jesus. Justification is, is according to Piper, the sign of entry. It's what you do. You are saved because you put faith in Jesus. You believe in Jesus. It's what you do. And, and John Piper directly counters right by saying, the idea that Jesus is the Messiah might not be good news to you. You might not hear that, that Jesus, Jesus is Lord of the world as good news because you don't know what type of Lord Jesus is. If you're a lawbreaker, if you're somebody who, who you know, feels like Jesus would, would punish you or be angry at you or be against you, then somebody saying Jesus is Lord would certainly be terrifying news to you. And so Piper says, well... Right, it's not quite good enough just to make a gospel message and global message that Jesus is Lord. You need to tell them what type of Lord Jesus is. The fact that Jesus is a Lord that gives you forgiveness, that you were guilty, and then God makes you righteous, and you accept that transaction you accept it, and now you have been forgiven. So Piper is saying that Jesus' mission is to declare the forgiveness or the justification for sins. He's saying, yes, you're forgiven. Because they need to know, quote, that they are off the hook. They are not held responsible any longer. In other words, the gospel is individual and not global. And so N.T. Wright and John Piper hash these two things out. And in your tradition, in your Christian experience, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have also hashed these out maybe. Maybe you've come with one. Maybe you came through, it is just simply an individual experience. Me and God, and I place faith in Jesus, and Jesus forgives me, and that is what Christianity is. And that is a great place to, to start, because that's what it is. It's, it's admitted, this is the entry place. But maybe your, your Christian tradition has said that, that it is about this 
greater mission of Jesus restoring the whole world, that there's a global message here that Jesus is Lord over all things, regardless of what he is defeating evil, and we're participating in that. And that is also true. And so what we see is this tension between the global gospel and the individual gospel. And both these authors, with respect to each other, say this one's most important and that one's most important. And as a pastor today, I say that both of them are vitally important to understand that we as people put our faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. That in that, God forgives us of every participation with evil that we have done. And that this is for you individually, and it is for us globally. It is for all people that nobody would would fall, and nobody would be put aside. You know, Galatians 2, 16 says, yet we know that a person's not justified by the work of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. And in N.T. Wright's translation, it says, but we know that a person is not declared righteous by works of the Jewish law, but through the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. That is why we too believed in the Messiah, Jesus. Paul's saying that our actions in believing in Jesus allow us to be entered in, declared righteous, and justified by faith in the faithfulness of Christ. Both of them. Both our theologians, N.T. Wright and John Piper, are saying that and coming at it from an individual perspective and a global perspective. And they're saying that in this message is the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not based in, you know, our economy opening up again. It's not based in who's running our government, whether, whether our head of the government in Canada is incompetent or, or the greatest person in the world. Our hope is in neither of those things. As Christians, our refreshing hope is in Jesus Christ. We we know that. We know that. And so we look at this. It's the continued action that we place faith in is Jesus' faithfulness. We continue to show that we are included by our continued faith in Jesus' faithfulness. And that's what we do. We show that we're included by our continued faith in Jesus' faithfulness. So for some of us, we've struggled right now. Since Christmas has been a hard, dark time for some of us. And it's been a time that that we feel like, when will we resume life again? And I've heard it. And I know it's true. But our faith, our unwavering resolve, is that because Jesus has been faithful to everything that God has put out because Jesus was actually the example that he actually died on a cross and he actually was raised again to life by the power of the Spirit. And he said that he's going to return. And all of the testimony of God has been faithful. Why would I doubt God 
now. In such a time in my life, why would I doubt God now? Indeed, we have been justified. We have been included in God's kingdom. And he is going to make all things right. The gospel message for the, for the world today is that God will make everything right. That he will put things that were wrong whether it's mental health issues, economic issues, physical health issues related to COVID, physical health issues not related to COVID, social issues. He will make it right. And he has been faithful, and he is faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. If you do not yet know Jesus as Lord and you have not accepted his faithfulness as a good thing, then I challenge you to accept this good news because God has been making things right. He is making things right and he will complete his work in the return of Jesus to make things right. And God absolutely does this because he loves you. It is a global message, and it's an individual message. I encourage you to accept that today. Jesus is Lord. He is working for your good and has done everything for you to know God. This faith that you place in Jesus will change your life. It will change how you look at problems. It will change how you look at, this, at your solutions because you will start to have a view on life that's based on Jesus' return. And you'll, it'll set a trajectory and a purpose for your life that everything aligns to this truth. So we will love God together. And then we will be known by God. And we, our understanding will be expanded. Let me pray. God, we thank you that it is by faith in you faith in your faithfulness, that you have been so true. God, as a church community, we share these stories of your faithfulness because it again affirms that if you've been faithful in my life and you've been faithful in the past and you've been faithful in the, in the ancient past, then why would I even doubt that you will be faithful to work for the good in the future? Why would I even question that? And so, God, today we come in a period of, of trial and tribulation, and we come to you and we say, God, help us with our unbelief. Allow us to hear the stories of your faithfulness. Like we heard today, Jesus healing a demon-possessed person. And so today, I pray that you would increase our faith in your faithfulness, that we would have a long perspective that, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is returning, and that we would be rooted in Scripture. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We thank you for joining with us today at Promise Church. We pray that God will bless you and that you continue to be challenged in the book of Galatians. If you have not yet read the entire book of Galatians, then I encourage you to actually read through it. We're about halfway through the series. It's going to continue on, and there's some really, really good stuff. I'm super looking forward to next week's service as well because it includes my favorite Bible verse. So we look forward to seeing you next week, and God bless you.